Hi everyone, I'm Dalen, founder and design educator at Curious Core. Welcome to our Working in UX Design podcast series, where we interview a UX design leader in the industry on their experience in this emerging field. We've had UX professionals from Grab, AirAsia, Google, and more join us previously, and we're bringing you more exciting interviews this year. Stay tuned for this week's interview with our special guest, who is working in UX design. All right. Good evening, everyone. This is Dalen here, and it's so great to have all of you join us、uh, this evening. This is the live session for our podcast, Working in UX Design, with Mike Chen. Mike Chen is the head of design for Shopback, and、uh, he's also someone I've known for several years、uh, since his very entrepreneurial、uh, days. <laughs> and we're gonna spend a little bit of time talking about that as well.、Uh, the current company he's working with, which is Shopback. And the previous company he worked for, which is Zendesk, a B two C company and a B two B company,、uh, very very different softwares and design. We're gonna have a chat about design and building a team in design, and also how he has evolved as a designer over the years itself. So I'm really glad to have Mike join us. But let me just read his official bio so that we can get started. So Mike was a co-founder. Uh, of an interaction design company, and、uh, today he's a product design leader who's highly experienced in product and experience design with over ten years in the field. He was previously at Zendesk as a product designer with product managers and engineers to create beautiful and simple business software that scales. And he's currently the head of product design at Shopback. So Mike's philosophy is to make software simple. With a data-driven design process, and he's heavily influenced by the works of Flow by Mihaly, and I forgive me, I really cannot pronounce his name, <laughs> but we all know that book about Flow, and Rework by Thirty、um, Seven Signals, and he also enjoys conversations about building company culture, lean slash agile UX. And design processes. So yeah, we're gonna have a good time talking about some of these things. Well, it's it's nice that you shared your favorite book. So maybe let's start off. How has these two books, Flow and Rework, impacted the way you work, Mike? Yeah.、Um, first of all, thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure to be here. So the first book was Flow, right? And really, so I I come from a place where I do a lot of sports and. One of the the most formative experiences I had growing up was being together with a bunch of close friends that we play soccer together. And you know, whenever we play,、uh, we were like you know secondary school, right? So thirteen, fourteen years old, we'd be able to win against like the big boys, you know, like people who are in the upper secondary level and 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 all that. And So this feeling of being able to like pass your teammates without even like looking and just being part of a team that you know where、uh, you are going to to see them where where they're gonna be is something that was a great、um, experience growing up, right? So when I went into the workforce, I was trying to find out like how do I replicate this feeling in my work, people,、uh, the teams that I joined. So definitely flow. Is one of those ideas or concepts that I was really in love with. So flow was like his version one, right? So that's version two is about team flow. So version one flow is like it was really about personal productivity, 
and the idea that the happiest place that you can be is when you're in a state of flow, right? Where nothing else in the world matters. You're super focused on what you're doing. And a lot of time, design work is a bit like that, right? That's the happy place. Earlier on in my career, it was, I found that happy space probably like, you know, in the late at night and the early hours of the morning, right? And I'm pretty sure a lot of designers go through this, right? where there's no more meetings, like everything else is just quiet and you're able to concentrate and, and work on that. And for a long time, I was chasing that feeling. But the more that you get into the craft of it, what you realize is that a lot of times when you sit at a computer and push pixels, you're solving one type of problem, right? As you go further along, you start to realize that, wow, it's about stakeholder management, it's about influencing people, it's about convincing people, communication and all that that's when you realize that you can't just like sit at a computer and be a Mac operator, right? You used to call them that. But rather you have to be able to uh, work with other people. And the more that I extend my career in this industry, the more I realize that it's industry of uh, interdependence, right? So there's going to be multiple things within the company organization that you do that influence the user experience, right? So it's not just about one designer designing one screen or even like a team of designers doing that. But um, as you go along, you realize that there are things like, like reliability, downtime, you know, that kind of thing affects too, right? I'm a gamer, right? So I think one thing that highlighted <laughs> that was, uh, you know, when FIFA or like when I think Diablo 3 when it launched, there was a very famous uh, incident where there was downtime, right? People who paid uh, money to play the game, they couldn't get onto it because the servers were down. So all these things add up to user experience as well. Can even get refunds and things like that, right? So uh, when you think about user experience, no longer is it just like a matter of looking at screen designs or UI and getting that right on a micro level, but also what I'm interested in these days is like how to get people to collaborate together. How do you form these like teams to be able to band together, like come up with a vision of how do you want the experience to be like in the journey for the user and then create that awesome experience. So a lot of that is really about team flow. And then like if you can do that in a way that feels intuitive, you know how to work with the other person, you know what they're like and how best to slot in and help each other. That's like the dream state that uh, like Nirvana <laughs> that I want to to reach, right? So a lot of my career has been focusing on how we can build cultures and build collaboration like that. Well, thank you for sharing. And yeah, like I can see why you love those two books, which is Flow and Rework. I happen to have Scantruth, both of them as well. Mm, mm, mm. And I was wondering how different are you as a leader today, right? Versus like earlier in your career where I understand that you were running your own agency, yeah. So my leadership journey has been very spontaneous, <laughs> I would say. So I started the design agency with, with my uni friend really early on in my career. I think I was like one year into my career. So my first job uh, was at a San Francisco tech startup and the co-founders were 19 years old, right? So. That got me thinking, it's like, wow, if they can do that straight out of college, uh, I can probably do that too, right? Probably. 
what, what I didn't know at that time was, yeah, it's easy to register a company, but there's all these like accounting stuff, there's all these sales stuff you can do, and that's really time consuming, right? Um, so that's the hidden like cost of it. Like at the beginning, I, I guess I was just in love with the idea of like, hey, I, I don't want to work for a boss. Like I want to be my own boss. And I kind of just unintentionally like became sort of like a co-founder. The day I became a leader was the day that we hired our first designer or employee. And through that time, it's always been, I don't know anything, but I can learn how to do it. So it's been really just super experimental, trying things, uh, see what sticks, you know, and then like relying on mentors, right, which is like super important to me back in those days, <laughs> which was not so long ago. But back at that time, I really didn't know a lot of people, right? So I just had coffee with people that were willing to have coffee with me, right? Silicon Valley had this like saying that you can build a business out of having 50 coffees with people. I would talk to these like mentors and, and people who have been there and done that, right? And it kind of gave me a direction of where to look. But after that, it was really just about like zooming in on, on certain topics, like how to do sales. Wow, I didn't know how to do sales. <laughs> I didn't know how to negotiate contracts and all that kind of stuff. And on the way to work, on the way back, on the train, just reading up and reading medium articles, you know, listening to podcasts and just really try to absorb as much as possible. And so it's kind of been a habit. And these days, not so much because I have kids now, so it's a little bit difficult. But it was really about just forming that habit of learning, trying to get better, experiment, trial and error, make mistakes, get the scars, but you know, let the scars remind you of the mistakes that you made and what to do better in the following times. And that's how slowly I've grown as a leader. Um, so there's the different stages of my career, right? The first part was um, running a design agency. And it's a different type of leadership, right? As a founder, it's a super hard job, right? You, you should know this, Dylan, because like, <laughs> you're a founder yourself, right? It's, it's about keeping the morale up. It's setting a vision for the team. Even the small little things like making sure that that everyone has a conducive environment, office equipment. <laughs> the day that I, we bought a TV in the office was my happiest day. As, <laughs> and the founder was like, wow, I can finally afford a, a TV and we can do presentations and things like that. But after a while, I think like, I've always been uh, good at helping people to grow. So early on, it was about taking fresh graduates and bringing them to mid-level, right? And during that time, uh, what I realized, you know, after towards the end of my, my time at uh, Mini Theory, uh, which was my design agency, was that I myself have a ceiling to break. I took people from fresh graduates to mid-level, but after that, you know, when they're seeking for guidance from me to take the next level, how do you get to a senior level? I myself, at that point of time, I've not been a senior designer. So I found that maybe the best way to grow was to go somewhere else, right? So to me, like, I've always been super focused on like, what is the best environment and to, for me to like, grow further. If it's like, tapering off at a certain point, then maybe I need to have some different kind of stimuli. Another way to put it is that if you get into a 
a comfort zone, then you kind of want to put yourself in a zone of discomfort, right? Because if you don't, then that's not how you can grow, right? So I mean, I don't know if you, if you go to the gym or what, but my PE teacher used to tell me that when you go to the gym, right, and do weights and all that kind of stuff, the soreness that you feel is like micro tears in your, in your arm. And then when you rest and recuperate and all that, more muscles grow back into it, right? So the kind of like pain is, <laughs> is important to growth. And that's what has stuck with me. That's really great. And back then you were just managing a few people. Today at Shopback, you're probably managing a lot more people. How is the challenge different, right, in this case? Yeah, it's super different. I think the, the industries are different. The business model is different, right? The responsibilities for an agency running a business, there's a lot of uh, real stuff, like monetary stuff that you need to deal with. Some transferable skills, of course, there's like budgeting and all that in Shopback. But essentially, the growth of the team is, is, is plotted in a very different way. Um, so with the agency, growth was really, why do you want to grow? It's because the business model is like that, right? So accounting firms and design agencies and law firms, you grow on a linear curve. In order to grow your revenue, you need to just add more bodies and you need to like just take in more clients and, and projects, right? And then it grows like that. Um, whereas like for Shopback, the growth is like hockey stick growth, <laughs> right? It's, it's like super fast. We've tripled in the last two years, right? The, the company as a whole. So right now it's like 600 people and 100 headcounts um, that we're trying to hire, right? So it's like crazy fast. And so the growth at Shopback, it's more dependent on the company itself. So it's a little bit different. So then you look at, in terms of the structure, the needs of the organization, how are we gonna support based on the objectives that we wanna, wanna have. So one interesting way that I am currently thinking about and experimenting with is I've always thought that the best way for a designer to operate within a company like Shopback, at a tech company, was to have designers embedded within the engineering team. So I've, I've been spending a year and a half at Shopback now, and I realized that there's a lot of, because it's a fast-moving business, and we always want to try to try new things, and we always want to test out certain business models and all that. So Shopback is a startup, and then sometimes we might have startup within startup. <laughs> so, and then um, there's structurally there's a there's a tension there, right? On one hand, there's all these things that you commit on the roadmap, and there's all these things that you want to get designers to be able to support the team and be super specialized in, in those domains and follow up with things, right? But at the same time, there's all these ideas and fast-moving like business environment initiatives, right? So what I'm thinking about trying is to slice like some, some of the team and you know, maybe form like an internal agency or design <laughs> kind of uh, system, right? So you get a hybrid system. And we started off hiring a UI motion designer, 
which is something that I've always wanted to do because it's so Shopify is a consumer product and we want to make the product more lively and engaging right and it's funny like so I don't really have an animation background so I don't really have an idea what that looks like but I watch Pixar movies <laughs> no just kidding uh, we become experts after watching yeah no I, I talked to a few different people in the industry and also internally la, um, because we have motion designers on the uh, the brand side right and we're trying to figure out like what are we looking for and one of the things was actually I, I was talking to one of the candidates and about like how should we define the role right and she gave some really good ideas and we eventually end up hiring her <laughs> which is interesting right and also like that's kind of gives you insight into where the culture is like right so we're pretty entrepreneurial we uh, like to have fresh ideas and we're pretty open to it's not a linear path right we always know that uh, where we go is is probably through trial and error and failing fast right and that was an interesting journey so that was is, is how i'm currently thinking about growing the team uh, at shopback yeah it's really nice you have this remit where you get to try these things and and that shopback is also at this really right phase where it's growing exponentially and the teams are also growing as well. And I was wondering, are there any lessons in the last one and a half years, you know, being in a company that's growing exponentially, lessons for other people who are in companies who are also growing really, really fast, especially maybe they're asked to lead design teams or they're asked to like grow very fast as a designer. Yeah, do you have any tips and advice for that? So, you just gotta go and try out, right? So I, I think a lot of times when you are growing very fast, there will be responsibilities placed on you where sometimes you're not ready for them, right? But the thing is, you may never be <laughs> like properly ready for it, right? I didn't feel like I was ready for marriage, but we, we got married. I didn't feel like I was ready for kids, <laughs> but we just had the kids. And, and you learn along the way, right? Like nobody was, was born like a good husband or a good father, right? But uh, when the situation is thrust on you, you kind of just figure it out. And so like what is, is probably um, on a lot of people's minds as they try to take on new responsibilities is, you know, the old friend called imposter syndrome or that feeling that you don't feel like you're good enough, right? And I mean, this is a well-spoken about topic, but my input into that is that I think all these things are just labels, right? Self-doubt is always going to be there. And it's so common like with in the design industry in particular because we're perfectionists and we would demand perfection from ourselves um, as well. But I've seen this like from senior designers, senior leadership, even up to VP level. And it's just self-doubt. It's a feeling you acknowledge it, but it's temporary and it's transient and it's going to go away. Because like if you don't put yourself in a position where it scares you, then again, like you're in the comfort zone and you don't grow in the comfort zone. Yeah, I fully agree with that. And I can tell as well, and I can hear that maybe fatherhood and being a husband has yes. brought new experiences <laughs> for you. And, and yeah. through that, you have, you have also matured from that experience. And thanks for sharing that perspective on 
having this growth mindset, especially when you're in a company that grows really, really fast. I was just wondering, you were you were in Zendesk, right? At that point in time, it's, it's quite unique because Zendesk just got acquired. Uh, yeah. Zendesk got acquired, but rather <laughs> Zopin yeah. got acquired by Zendesk. Did you join uh, Zopin or do you join Zendesk uh, after? I joined Zendesk. At that point of time, Zopin had been acquired for close to three years. Yeah. So you, you join after. So at that point in time, Zendesk is trying to grow its Asia-Pacific operations and you're in one of the best design teams I know in Asia-Pacific. Yeah. Uh, I, I would fully uh, endorse that. In fact, I, I try and tell a lot of people, please go join Zendesk because they have one of the best design teams in APAC. And how is this experience for designing in a B2B company Versus like right now, right? Like you're in a startup, you're in a consumer space. Like if you were to compare and contrast, how is it different? Taking leadership aside, right? Yeah. Um, it's quite different. Um, so, you know, if you look at the business model, Zendesk is a SaaS model, right? Software as a service. So users pay monthly subscriptions and the people who pay are the businesses, right? And it's different, right? Because the people who pay and the people who use the software are different as well. And, and so it's a different way of engaging with the users. You know, you look at their workflow, you look at uh, what kind of features would help the customer support agents, but also the team leads and admins. They all have different requirements. And then of course, what kind of features the company on the enterprise level they require. Sometimes that could be features like uh, redaction, things that protect your privacy uh, or protect the, the customer's data. And that's completely different from Shopback, right? Where consumer is the end user and they are the, they're the ones paying. <laughs> they're the ones making money um, for you, right? And so the way that you engage them is less restrictive in a sense where you can go directly to them and uh, no problem, right? And you're able to just like have chats with them. And in terms of geography, it's, it's very different as well, right? So for Zen, there's like international companies, you know, and we supported like uh, over 20 or 30 different languages, right? So the way they approach the system and design is that you want to make it as global as possible, as accessible as, as possible to like different cultures and different languages and different ways of, of thinking. Whereas for Shopback, it's about local, being local and catering to different uh, needs in different markets, especially in the Southeast Asia context. And some of these like consumer behavior and all that would be super different. Whereas like for enterprise software, um, and especially the, the companies who buy them, there's a little bit more <laughs> international. So there is like some like common way of uh, thinking about um, business and workflows and automation. Yeah, so those are the differences. Thanks for raising these differences. I, I would say, based on what I hear you say, the users for Zendesk is a little bit more homogeneous and for Shopback is a little bit more diverse. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's, there's a lot of localization involved. And 
Someone in the chat asked, like, do you feel like Zendesk has the best design team then? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think, I personally think it has the best design team because I know, like, a lot of good designers joined the Zendesk design team. Uh, but what, yeah. what did you think? You're, you're an insider. <laughs> well, shit, y'all putting me in a very difficult position. <laughs> um, well, we're like, talking about the past, so it, it's, it's all past, right? So it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I really love the team at uh, Zendesk. Like, one of the reasons why I joined was uh, actually I known um, the folks a few years before I joined. I flew some Drupal meetups and all of that, and they were always a team that I wanted to work with, right? And I would say I wasn't a product designer until I joined Zendesk. I learned so much from the folks there. The level of detail. It's insane, right? Like, I I realized I wasn't a good designer compared to them uh, when I joined, and I was really felt like I was playing catch up with them. And this was on top of like all the domain knowledge, um, the knowledge about the backend systems, and, and all of that. It's like just crazy, right? I think also the team when I joined it was evolving, so it was about like close to one thousand people when I joined, and when I left, it was like three thousand people, right? So the design team had like grown a lot. And what was interesting was having the chance to work with a lot of like super senior folks. Very, very senior. Especially like in, in the US and, and Europe, right? Like, wow, it's like these people have been in companies that are you know, multiple times the size of Zendesk. Uh, I always remember like there was there was this um engineering uh, SVP I was talking to, right? I think previously it was on Microsoft. And I was like, oh, you know, like Zendesk is getting big. Like, how are we going to get our processes right and communicate? And like, oh, you think uh, 2,000 people is big? Because <laughs> then like, he came from a like, you know, company that's 20,000 people and, and all that, right? So just the sheer amount of scale. And it was really eye-opening to see how different functions like within within that company and, and also like the more experienced leaders they later brought in right how they help to scale the system like what kind of processes they put in place and it was definitely a, a huge influence in my career I definitely learned how to be a proper designer there but I will also say that we're building a great team at short back you know we've got people who are ex-Grab, ex-Carousel, and it's grown like quite quickly. Uh, so we've grown from, the time I joined, it was like a team of four people, and we're probably going to end up with 20 people by the end of the year. So what I try to do is like, you know, I ask around, like, hey, who do you want to work with? Like, who's on your uh, dream team, right? Let's, let's try to work with people, or hire people that we want to work with. And then I, I go and, and try to, to hire them. So far, it's like one of the people that we managed to hire was a research lead, uh, Naning. So I've known her for a few years and it was one of those things where, hey, um, so this, this quarter we my... need a research lead now. Like, who can we think of? And I'm like, ah, oh, uh, this person. Like, then we, we went out and uh, tried to see if she's interested and yeah, managed to, to hire. So yeah, we're putting together a, a pretty nice team now. And uh, we have openings, by the way. So uh, if Yeah, that's great. I, want, I wanted to ask, ask about that. And I'm sure the people in the audience are also interested. 
It does remind me that you're kind of like Nick Fury from Avengers, trying to recruit all your Avengers in into your team. So tell me a little bit, uh, who are, who are you recruiting, and what type of Avengers are you recruiting? Uh, my boss gave me a challenge, lah. It's like, like, can you hire seven people? I was like, oh wow, <laughs> like within this quarter. So we have like openings in Singapore and in Vietnam, Ho Chi Minh City, like, and also uh, in Tai Taipei as well. And it's been pretty interesting the profiles that have been coming in. As I said earlier, we tried this experimental role, the UI motion designer, and we're pretty happy with who we managed to hire. So then, the two roles that we were trying to, uh, or the two types of roles that we we're trying to hire, is somebody who is a little bit more versatile, able to work within a agency or studio-like setting, and be pitching concepts like how should we go forward in Shopback for the next few years, right? Coming up interesting ideas to engage users, right? At the same time, we're also um, looking for people for our Singapore local market, you know, specifically for Shopback Go. So that's like a very location-based service that we have. Yeah, so there's a few roles that are uh, going around. And if anyone knows anyone in in Taipei or in Ho Chi Minh, um, please let me know. Uh, I'm trying to figure out how to get into those communities and who are the good designers there, which is all new to me. Lah. Yeah. Yeah, I think those are excellent choices. Um, the people there are very hardworking and also easy to work with in general. Yeah, and, and thanks yeah. for sharing those openings as well. And someone asked you how how did you get over your imposter syndrome? Do you still have imposter syndrome? <laughs> yeah, funny enough, we were just talking about this in a team retro, and I would say that for some reason, designers more than like others uh, have faced this all the time, right? And don't know because we overthink or we tend to spend a lot of time uh, in our heads dreaming up things or, or, or not, right? But definitely that has been something that has always followed me and it's also something that I've learned to cope with, right? It's not something that you cure as with other uh, things. But also like, like I said, imposter syndrome itself is a diagnosis. It's a mental health issue and sometimes I find that people lab self-label where the condition might actually uh, not be uh, so so severe and we tend to over extrapolate on, on that. I would say yes there will always be self-doubt when you're trying new things and experimenting of course uh, you know because you're taking risks right of course there's gonna be fear if you're riding a bicycle for the first time I'm pretty sure you won't be like super confident. <laughs> I don't know if y'all uh, remember as, as a kid or even like, you know, the most recent thing was like going to a water park with my kids. It's that moment of like, before you go down uh, the slide, that is the, the hardest part, right? That is the most scary part. There's fear, but fear is sometimes intermingled with excitement. And sometimes we mistake one for the other. And it's easy to be pessimistic and give that label that, oh, I feel self-doubt. 
but also you know it could be just so yeah it's excitement it's it's an air for growth it's easy to forget that even your boss or whoever right they get promoted along the career path this is the first time they're doing all this stuff as well so i think everyone experiences at some point or other but we don't have to make a meal out of it every time but also at the same time if you do feel like that's something that is a little bit more severe look for a support group for help and definitely like talking about it and acknowledging it and normalizing it definitely uh, is something that will help yeah thanks for your honesty and uh, around this topic and subject and i'll also ask you about how are you helping uh, your teams to manage this right and more because you mentioned earlier in Shopback, your team takes a lot of risks, right? And you're also experimenting with new team structures and things like that. So my guess is that people are feeling naturally anxious in trying new things. How are you like helping your team? How are you enabling your team as a leader? Yeah. So structurally, what you want to try to do is create a framework or support system, right? So one of those things that I'm trying to do is to build out a layer of management or, or leaders within the team. We have some designers uh, on a senior level who I think are ready. But I think what I've seen is that managers are somehow always airdrop. It's like either somebody leaves or the manager leaves and then like, hey, you're next in line. Like, it's kind of like a battlefield promotion kind of way to inherit a team, right? Or the more common scenario also is like, experienced manager hired in into a, another team so there's different like uh, ways to do that but also like what i would love to see more and what i'm trying to do also is how do you plan ahead for these uh, senior folks in a career do you plan like one and a half years in advance like so for example one of uh, my designers super experienced and i figured that we probably need a lead designer at a certain point as the team grows bigger for that unit right and I was like all right I'm gonna give you the first option because uh, you've been with us for very long and we will have this need at a certain point but do you want to give it a try right and so we set out a few different milestones along the way like you know first get your hands dirty with hiring an intern uh, managing that and then it's like junior designers and then you know grow to two to three right so at a certain point when you have you have five designers under you you probably in a sliding scale you're probably not going to do as much individual contributor work right you're gonna probably have to switch over to full-time management at some point so yeah this was actually an, another thing that i picked up working with some of the more experienced uh, managers at zendesk and definitely um, that has been beneficial in helping to form or create some of these structures yeah, thanks for sharing that. And I really like how deep we went on leadership on this one. And I'd like to also understand how you develop your team members, how you grow them. There seems to be general sentiment in the market that there's a lack of mid-weight designers, right? Mid-weight meaning designers uh, in UX with like three years of experience or more. There seems to be like a lack of that. So just wondering how how you see the problem and how you kind of like managing it and through your, through whatever you're doing. 
but that has always been the problem, right? Since since even like ten years ago, right? Lack of of midweight and even up to senior level in some regards. I I think part of the solution at the beginning was to hire from overseas, right? I mean, talking about the Singapore context, and I think initially you saw a lot of people come in, but also you saw some of the mid-level people in Singapore go out to the valley and, and, and all of those uh, countries, right? At the beginning, there were a few things that I tried. Uh, one was an apprenticeship program. So uh, I was thinking about like how to bridge, because like, you have schools that help people career switch, like Curious Core. And what I typically found was actually there's still a little bit of gap between a graduate from such a course and being able to come in and slot in as a full-time designer. But it feels like internship is like very short. Like how do you build up that portfolio for that person and also then like mitigate the risk on both sides? A couple of years ago, what we tried was some form of apprenticeship program. So lasting about a year. And this was for engineers also had as, as well. Um, and, you know, kind of think of it, we, we didn't really pick up on that after a while. Then I joined Zendesk and Zendesk had the opposite problem, right? And in, in which like, uh, it was already a well-known brand name, right? And people are attracted to these kind of companies and uh, when the profile is a bit higher. So then you, you solve different kind of problems. I used to like lament uh, this problem and like um, feel uh, very anxious about it. But I think the only thing that you can do is to be part of the development of these designers and the talent, right? So the way that I've been thinking is, you know, once we have enough senior designers and, and managers in, then we can start to offer more uh, mentorship to to these like junior designers. That's when we start bringing people in. And to some extent, we've, we've started that. As a cost provider, I'm, I'm also quite curious about this part since we run a career accelerator. Like you say that there's still a little bit of gap, right? Uh, people who come out of these boot camps, these courses, like what is that gap? What is that? lack of polish that requires you to get them to do like a one-year attachment with you? So I'm, I'm generalizing, right? So when I, when I talk about the accelerator and, and, and all that, that was like eight years ago. <laughs> so I think courses have become a lot more sophisticated from when I look at candidates these days, always comes with very nice case studies. Like detailing the processes and, and all that, right? But of course, like the one thing is, is something that the course cannot provide, which is like real life experience or real life projects and kind of like a, a breadth of, of projects and just shipping stuff and the stories of mistakes or, or failures and how they overcome uh, some of that. So I think to your point, I think the most important thing is like, how can we get the students to work with engineers to ship things and, and not just like have the, the attachment with the, the client companies, right? And follow through with them. 
and actually work through some of those, you know, beyond the handoff, right? Uh, follow up, design QA um, as well. I think that's like 50% of the work. But yeah, to be honest, I haven't really figured out what's the, the best model for that. But some of the things that I would love to get uh, some of your students to try is to really add more to your portfolio by doing you know, redesigns or like just taking initiative, right? So the ones that I do want to give more time for uh, are people who have shown initiative like they are self-aware that, oh yeah, like, you know, I may not have that body of work yet, but have been trying side projects, volunteering, try to bridge that gap. Because I, I do see a lot of good candidates who maybe they have backgrounds or careers where domain is like very suitable. It's just that we need that bit where you able to, to execute. And then once you have that, I think Having work experience already definitely like helps compared to someone who's a fresh graduate from school. Thank you for sharing. And yeah, you're right. Boot camps and courses have actually gotten more sophisticated and the bar has been raising. Yeah. And I've also yeah. been trying to raise the bar. Um, we're actually yeah. one, one of the only programs out there that offer real clients, real project work for our students. And we would definitely love to work with engineers. And we tried working with an engineering school as well and that there's some exchanges and all that but you're right like the design QA process the handoff process and all that that's very hard to replicate unless you are actually building a real product and shipping it out there uh, there's no easy answers and even if we sort of like build something that that allows someone to try this entire process uh, it, it, it might not be very scalable as well so it's quite a challenging problem um, on my end to yeah. crack I was just wondering, like, in terms of talent development, for many of the people here, some of them are looking to break into the industry. They're looking to be UX designers. If you look back as yourself, because like you said before you joined Zendesk, you felt like you were not really a good designer. What, what would you have done? What could you have done to prepare yourself more or actually just be a better designer? What kind of advice would you give them um, to the audience over here? I think the most important thing is to design more, but also like to also reflect on your processes afterwards, right? Not a lot of people <laughs> know this, but I, I applied for Zendesk multiple times before I got in. I, it was a really tough interview process and I didn't get it the first time. I didn't get it the second time, but like, it's all about, you just keep knocking on the door and just keep trying, right? I think like when a, one of the things is to really just in your communications, if you don't get in, like how do you do like a graceful um, um, farewell that opens up the door um, for future opportunities. Just be a nice guy. Uh, you know, I think that helps a lot. Yeah, I think that has helped me. And I also noticed you mentioned you already knew some of the team members at, who were working in the Zendesk design team. Did you feel like that helped as well? I mean, even though you knew them, you, you still didn't pass your first time around, right? Yeah, they were super strict, man. <laughs> <laughs> so like, but would you still encourage people to kind of like get to know people and, and, and network and, and talk to other people? Yeah, definitely. Because like that, that surfaces opportunities and when opportunities come, they might look to you as well. 
and I mean the thing really is like uh, you never know right so a lot of the times you think about networking as a, as a way to learn from others and but also like, I think it's it's a way to create more luck just so happens that the more people you know the more lucky that you can get lah. <laughs> I like that building luck I think that's the really wonderful tip and advice yeah because all you need is is one lucky break right so getting my first job was a lucky break I just so happened to have a uni friend who recommended me into the startup right and then like getting my first clients as you know, as part of the design studio um, was also it's just referrals just do good work and then people refer you and that's how it rolls on right and then that's as well and uh, even for short back I was mentoring someone she was the one who recommended uh, my boss to, to have a chat uh, with me so yeah it, it really uh, helps you to create those lucky breaks what goes around comes around I think like all these other things you're doing it's, it's wonderful that you built your own luck and when we look at sort of working in a fast-growing startup, working in a startup itself. Uh, you work with different stakeholders, you work with engineers, you work with product owners. What's one thing you wish product owners would know about designers or what's one thing you wish engineers or engineering managers would know about uh, UX? Yeah. Mm, I think there's more than one thing. <laughs> sure, we can go, we can do a few. <laughs> yeah. So my philosophy, I will, I will turn the question around, is that it's easier to change yourself than the world around you, right? So I think that it's more on the designer's side, right? To really find out how to speak the language of business, how to speak the language of uh, engineering. And if it's technically complex domain, then learn about the complexity. If it's in the sense of um, um, this expertise or, or knowledge that you need, then go and learn that knowledge. Um, all of that helps you in, in your work and helps you to communicate better with them and work better with them. So I really think it's, it's about owning your own change that you want to see. Some famous guy said that. <laughs> I wonder who. Be the change you want to see. Yes, I, yeah, I've heard of that exactly. quote. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, definitely. Thank you for being so honest throughout the entire interview. I, I was really quite surprised by that and I'll also be honest and tell you I'm actually a very late user of Shopback <laughs> even though I've heard uh, I've heard about it for a long time and and, and Henry is actually uh, one of my Facebook friends the co-founder nice. for a very long time I didn't understand how Shopback works <laughs> right right yeah and I think it was only until my staff told me hey uh, Dale why don't you download the app we can get free croissants over here I was like, okay, fine. <laughs> I'll just download yeah. it and, and, and I get, get a free croissant. Yeah. And I was just wondering, like, wh why should people join Shopback now? Why is it an exciting opportunity since you're, you're hiring as well? Wow. Um, it's, a, it's a fast growing company, um, definitely. So join for the, the growth, personal and also like as, as part of a, a growing team. Um, join if you like to take risks and you don't want a boring job. Um, definitely every day is a different set of um, challenges to resolve. Join if you, your life to be too predictable, uh, right? Uh, and I, I think that's interesting is also like the, the people that we have, right? The thing that swayed me when I was doing the, the interviews was talking to 
some of the leadership, right? And some of these uh, leaders are super um, experienced in, in their domains, right? And for me, what attracted me was like, oh, how does a Singapore company like expand so quickly in so many different markets in, in such a short span of time, right? What kind of approaches do they take? What kind of business strategies do they employ? What is it like to what is it like to expand to different business verticals as, as well? At the same time, it's a little bit crazy, but somehow we, we execute well. Uh, and, and that's something that um, is, is exciting for me. And with that, I think executing well, one of the key reasons why you should join Shopback, other than, of course, working with a leader like Mike, who I have found to be very, very humble and <laughs> very, very open in terms of sharing his past failures as well. So thank you, Mike, for spending time with us this evening uh, away from your family and also taking time to share with the, the young designers over here how they can actually craft their career and join the UX design industry. We will come back next month with another session uh, with another head of design from Grab this time around. We'll see you all very, very soon. And good night. And thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please let me know what you think. Get in touch with me over email at mail at curiouscore.com. I would love to hear from you. Do also check out our previous interviews and other free resources at curiouscore.com. And until next time, I'll see you on the next episode. Take care and keep leaning into change.